Hello, and welcome back to the Upper Bowl GM Podcast. Today's show is going to be a little bit more somber and reflective because of the news in the hockey world. Today's show was already going to be a a difficult subject matter, but it is important to remember to keep sports things in perspective as being sports things, not just real-life things. Two really sad passings. One happened last night late. Rod Gilbert, Mr. Ranger, iconic player from the 70s, gold game line guy, gag line, you know, the one all the boomers love to wax nostalgic about. For people my age, you know him as the guy who was at every Rangers home game. They show him on the scoreboard. He'd always shake hands. He'd always make time for fans. Really, really sad for the game of hockey when you lose an ambassador like that someone who's 80 years old given essentially their entire their entire life because I was going to say entire adult life but you got to remember that journey starts when you're a little kid to become a pro hockey player and then this morning I saw it and I had I rubbed my eyes because it didn't process in my brain I'm recording this late Monday afternoon I, I, I saw the John Bucci girls tweet and I was like what and sadly NHL veteran Jimmy Hayes passing away at the age of 31. Do not know the cause of death yet. Really, really fucking sad, man. 31 years old. A whole life still ahead of him outside of hockey. I know he had just started that podcast. He's got a wife. He's got kids. That That's just absolute nightmare shit. So, it's important that we be respectful and we keep that in mind when we talk about today's main subject matter which is reflecting on the career of Henrik Lundqvist and just expressing some appreciation for all he gave to the game of hockey and all he's still going to give the game of hockey as an ambassador in the next stage of his life because I really doubt Henrik Lundqvist is just going to fade into obscurity in a post-playing career where he's never going to be heard from again. I'd assume he's going to have a post-career or post-hockey career role in some front office somewhere. Maybe he could do something in Sweden. I'm assuming this is not the last we've heard of Henrik Lundqvist. But before I get to today's show, I do have to remind everyone to help support the show. If you see the show on social media, bump it so other people can see it, like, retweet, share, whatever, whatever platform you see it on. Signal boost it. Help other people find the show. If you're already signal boosting, you probably should be subscribed to the show on whatever podcasting platform you prefer, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, all the main ones, we're there. The show is there. If you are subscribed to the show, if you are using an Apple device to listen to Apple Podcasts, you have an added responsibility because Apple controls the universe and Apple's podcasting charts matter. Please go to the show's homepage, scroll past the recent episodes. There are going to be five clear purple stars. Please hit the one furthest to the right. Then, if you have a minute, beneath that is a button. It has purple letters. It says, write a review. If you have two minutes, please, please, please leave a written review. Support your content creators. Please, we're busting our asses. It's a real content grind time of year now. Football is on the horizon. Hockey is only about six weeks away. Basketball about eight weeks away. The playoffs are going to start for NASCAR soon. The baseball stretch run. 
Formula One's coming back from summer vacation this weekend. There's a whole lot to do, and every review helps. So, with all of that said, I will see you guys in one second. Stepping away is Neil, and his shot was tipped high by Moore, who got right on it. Not work their way through. It's Vanek with it though. Backhands one in front. Oh, and And with that, we will get on into today's show. There are a few ways I've looked at the career of Henrik Lundqvist in the bigger picture, the the grand scheme of things. When we're looking back on. That 15-year stretch of Rangers history, so from the 2004 lockout, which canceled that season, the 05-06 season, which was Lundqvist's first season, the first year that Crosby, Ovechkin, he were in the league full-time, to 2020 in the bubble playoffs. Henrik Lundqvist's last game as an NHL player was a loss to the Carolina Hurricanes at Scotiabank Arena, with no fans, in the middle of a pandemic, playing goaltender behind a defense with Mark Stahl and Tony D'Angelo. So when we look at that long period of time, the Rangers went through a few different iterations. Following that lockout, the NHL instituted the salary cap to minimize player salaries, suppress wages, keep the owners in control, and try to keep homegrown players with the teams that drafted them with restricted free agency, unrestricted free agency. All of these tools were put in place after the lockout to try and keep player prices down so the owners would not lock out the players again. So when we look at this era of hockey history, we have a few defining moments and players. The players I mentioned, Crosby, Ovechkin, you can make a serious argument for Lundqvist as number three. Some people will argue Evgeny Malkin. Some people will argue Marc-Andre Fleury. Some people will argue someone a little bit younger, maybe Jonathan Taze, Patrick Kane. Those teams won Stanley Cups. Maybe you could argue Patrice Bergeron for his longevity. You could argue maybe Carey Price, but... For my money, Henrik Lundqvist is one of the most recognizable players in hockey history and one of the most important because I know the Rangers give off this allure in the New York area, and I'm about to say something that's going to upset some of my Ranger fan friends, but the Rangers carry themselves like they're the Yankees, that they're this titan of sport, that they have all this history, they've gone about a a, a, a tradition of excellence forever endeavor. The reality is the Rangers have been in existence close to 100 years and have won four Stanley Cups. Yes, yes, I know Keith Olbermann is going to be in the replies telling me how the circus used to be at Madison Square Garden in the spring so the Rangers couldn't have playoff games prior to the modern the Madison Square Garden renovation in the 60s. I know, Mr. Olbermann, I know, I know. The Rangers try to carry themselves as this important presence in the New York sports scene, that they are the Yankees, they are this titan. But... The Yankees 
the Yankees have actually won things. I, I mean, the Yankees have the most championships in North American sports. I mean, the only team that's close is the Canadians, and they're in the 20s, and that's because they used to play, and they won all those Stanley Cups when there were, you know, eight teams, 12 teams in the entire league, and you only had to win two playoff series to win a Stanley Cup. It's a little bit more tricky now. But circling back around, I, I, I've looked at it in a few different ways. First, we talk about Henrik Lundqvist as his place in hockey. The next part of that I want to talk about is where he fits in Rangers history. And it hit me today when I was writing a column for Gotham SN, Gotham Sports Network, which you should be following. The blog will probably be up sometime on Tuesday, the day you're listening to this, if you want to go give that a read. Henrik Lundqvist must have done something in a past life to be damned to be like Sisyphus, to just keep rolling that ball uphill. And no matter how much he tried, the ball never got to the top of the hill. And he got that ball pretty fucking close to the top on more than one occasion. 2011-12, Henrik Lundqvist had that ball pretty damn close to the top of the hill. And I don't want to... I don't want to relitigate 15 years of history, but Lundqvist's ability to make any game feel winnable is not something you can really describe. And I know that sounds weird to say about someone who's only about 100 wins over 500 for their NHL career. And yes, he Lundqvist is sixth all-time in NHL wins. And you would think Lundqvist would have slightly better stats, but you got to remember a few things. Number one, the teams he was on early in his career had very defined ceilings. They were laden with very old veterans, the Yager, Straka, those, uh, Will, Michael Nylander, I went to say William Nylander because my brain's still thinking about the Leafs. Michael Nylander, Willie's dad. Older, more veteran-centric teams that when it came to the playoffs, they lost to the Devils, lost to the Sabres, lost to Washington, but that was a little bit later on. That was post Yager leaving. And those teams were nice. They were regular season teams. They were not going to make any noise in the postseason because they were built from a flawed concept, overspending on free agents, you bring in Drury, you bring in Gomez, you bring in Wade Redden, you bring in Michael Rosenthal, all these older guys that are going to cost more, and you're going to have to get more value out of cheaper guys, and the Rangers never found that right recipe. When they fire Tom Rennie, they bring in Tortorella, you, you realize that Tortorella is the guy that's going to get this group to play the way they need to based on the talent they have, and for all of his flaws, I think John Tortorella is probably a pretty miserable human being, and I don't know if he's a good hockey coach anymore in the year 2021. But if Tortorella is not the coach when they fire Tom Rennie, that group never reaches its core, and Henry, that core never reaches its peak, and Henrik Lundqvist is nothing but a good regular season goalie. But Tortorella gets in there, and he throws the young guys to the fire. He gets... Ryan McDonough in there. He gets Mark Stahl in there. He gets Dan Girardi in there. He gets Michael Delzato in there. The Dubinskys, the Callahans, the Anisimovs. And that first year, that 09-10 season, he's not bad, but they miss the playoffs. They lose on the last day of the regular season to the Flyers in a win-and-get-in scenario. And then they come back the next year, and that group... I know everybody talks about the 2013-14 Rangers and 2014-15 teams as the teams that should have done it, but realistically, if I was going to make the case for the team 
that had the best chance based on what was in front of them and not based on what ifs. It's that team because if they beat the Devils, I think they could beat that tw- that Kings team. That Kings team was an eight seed riding a hot goaltender, and I don't want to slander Jonathan Quick yet. We're gonna get to that point, but I do think it's worth bearing out that how good that 2011-2012 team was defensively. And when we talk about a team being built around defense and goaltending, you've often heard me on the show wax poetically about the limitations of building around defense because at the end of the day, the winner of the game is the team that scores more goals. It is impossible to win a hockey game 0-0, to which is something the John Tortorella Rangers struggled with. When it came time to score a goal, they could not do that. And yes, Henrik Lundqvist, superhuman, Won the Vesna Trophy that year. The Rangers were in the mix for the President's Trophy for most of that season. They were the number one seed in the Eastern Conference. They were a very good team built through defense and goaltending. But when the playoffs came, that team had a very hard time scoring goals. And you talk about what that team's bottom six looked like. We're talking about Mike Rupp, Brandon Prost, Ruslan Fedotenko, John Mitchell... We're not exactly talking about, you know, the lightning third line here. There's no Blake Coleman's. There's no Barkley Goudreau's. That team was going to go as far as the top six could score and Lundqvist could prevent goals from happening. That is the reality of that team. And I know I mentioned it in there. Lundqvist won the Vezina that season. It's still absurd to me that Lundqvist only has one Vezina in his NHL career. And this goes to one of the recurring points I have on the show often. The people who vote on awards, whether it be general managers or writers, do not watch enough hockey to vote. Those people only watch their own teams or the team they are on the beat for. They do not have time to watch other teams around the league. It's why general managers voting for the Vezina irks me. It's why hockey writers voting for the Norris irks me. At some point, we need, need, need to Get a dose of reality. Get people who are watching more than just one team every single night. During hockey season, every single night I could, there were a few nights where, you know, my girlfriend was over, went out. Every single night I was home, I was watching at minimum five hockey games a night. I would have three 7 o'clock games on, and then I was having the fingers crossed for some West Coast games or some Western Canada games. And watching as much hockey as I could because I feel it's my responsibility to be as informed as possible. Unlike the people who vote on these awards. So yeah, Longquist only having one Vezina, a disgrace. I continue meandering along here talking about Longquist's playing career. I'm going to start getting into the more abstract and philosophical stuff in a minute. But that 2013-14 team, the first year, Elaine Vigneault is the coach of the Rangers. That's a pretty nice hockey team. It's it's not bad. It's Derek Stepan, Chris Kreider, Rick Nash, line one. St. Louis, Brad Richards, Carl Haglin, line three. Broussard, Zuccarello, Benoit Pouliot, line three. Fourth line, Brian Boyle, Dominic Moore, and then Dan Carcillo or Derek Dorsett. Nobody in that group, aside from maybe Rick Nash, strikes that much fear into you decent group of guys but I think if 
I was as aware then as I am now about the finer points of roster construction. I would have known a little bit better and I would have braced myself for the pain a little bit more that a team built from defense and goaltending is always going to have a very hard time come the postseason and in reality probably shouldn't have gotten as far as it did in that playoff run because they just didn't score with any real consistency. You go back and look at some of the shot share statistics from some of those series and you realize that second line was getting hemmed in its own zone for minutes at a time. That Richard St. Louis Hagelin line had a really difficult time. That 2014 team that made the cup final had a nice season, a very compelling, emotional ride, and something I would not trade for anything. I know I just said I think the 2011-12 team probably had a better case to being the best Rangers team of the decade. They didn't make it to the cup final. They lost in the conference final. The 14-15 team is the one that'll haunt you. The 14-15 team is the classic what if it's the thing we as sports fans dread because there's no way of ever knowing it's it's something as a fan of a team that does not win championships often you have to live with those opportunities you had and things didn't go your way the two i mean the two what ifs are significant matt zuccarello their best forward points wise in the regular season him and rick nash that year zuccarello takes the puck to the head in round one against the penguins He's out the rest of the playoffs, deals with serious neurological issues, had to relearn how to speak, use his motor skills. And then Ryan McDonough breaks his foot in Game 5 of the Eastern Conference Finals, gets it frozen for Game 6, the Rangers win, force Game 7. In that Game 7, McDonough tries to get the foot frozen. The treatment doesn't work. They get his foot in a skate somehow and he plays seven minutes on a broken foot the rangers go 70 11 forwards and never get particularly close to scoring and you may be wondering why i'm talking so much about a team a team's iterations of the rangers on an episode that's about henrik lundquist it is so so easy to describe someone as a winner or as a loser in team sports except in maybe maybe basketball because there are so few players on the court during the course of a game you can say someone has a a tendency of losing big games i'm never going to pin the blame for one player in hockey and football and baseball and soccer i know i've seen a lot of ranger fans trying to relitigate where henrik lundquist is in the pecking order and they've been met with Ranger fans who are a little bit older than them swearing that Mike Richter was better than Henrik Lundqvist because he won a Stanley Cup even though Mike Richter played on a team significantly better than any Rangers team Henrik Lundqvist played for. I saw Devils fans telling me well if Henrik Lundqvist was actually better than Marty Brodeur he'd have won as many cups as Marty Brodeur and well I do think there is some argument for being part of a successful team. I do think it is also worth mentioning that Henrik Lundqvist was always the best player on his own team, aside from maybe the first two years he was in the league when he was on the team with Yaramir Yager, and Yager was eating, eating. We're talking 100-plus point seasons and legitimate Hart Trophy candidate. Aside from those seasons, Lundqvist was always the best player on his own team. I mean, yes, Marion Gabrick had a very good season in there. 
Rick Nash had a couple of very good seasons in there. Ryan McDonough did. Temi Panarin towards the end. But at that point, the Rangers weren't contenders, so I'm going to put the 2019-2020 team over here and the 2017-2018 team over here with the 2019-2020 team because those are a little bit different, and I'm going to get there. We're almost done with the history lesson part of the episode, but their last best hope was 2014-2015. The Rangers told you they thought they were a contender in 2015-2016 and 2016-2017, and but those were deeply flawed teams. Those were teams relying on bargain bin guys in the bottom six, Victor Stahlberg types, Jarrett Stoll. They brought back, uh, they went with the Kevin Klein, Nick Holden, those type of defensemen on the back end. They paid Mark Stahl and Dan Girardi, and they closed their window prematurely. And as I was going through the timeline on Friday, I went back and I reread some of Travis Yost of TSN's work during that 2015-2016 season. And the Rangers had an okay season that year. They made the playoffs, but they rode Henrik Lundqvist to dust. One of the better seasons of Lundqvist's career, and all he has to show for it is a five-game first-round exit to a Penguins team that went on to win the Stanley Cup. Lundqvist playing out of his absolute mind that entire season. And then when the time came, they ended up playing a buzzsaw of a Pittsburgh Penguins team. I mean, it's the only playoff series of Lundqvist's entire career where he had below a 900 save percentage, not including the three games against Carolina, the two games he started against Carolina in the bubble, because that's an entirely different thing. But that series against Pittsburgh was when I knew, I'm pretty confident when I say that series is when I knew the run was over, that no matter what the Rangers tried to do around Lundqvist, they were probably not going to be able to build a good enough team around him because of the restrictions they had salary cap-wise and the types of talent they were looking to acquire. And they gave it a valiant effort in 2016-2017. They got within two games of a conference final again. They really had no business being there. They absolutely choked away that Ottawa series. I think... Of all the series in Lundqvist's career, if you could sit down and talk with him, I think that one might have driven him the most mad because the Rangers were such a better team than Ottawa, and they just came out flat on more than one occasion against a bat, a pretty mediocre Ottawa team. And yes, I know I say that about a team that's an overtime goal away from going to the cup final, but that Ottawa team wasn't good. That was Eric Carlson and a bunch of duct tape holding together. That wasn't a good hockey team. And at that point, that's when you realize the party's over. The lights are on. It's 4 a.m. in the bar. The bartender's counting his cash on the table. You got to call your cab and go home. That's when you realize the party's over and you got to figure out what the fuck you're going to do in the morning. And the Rangers pissed it away. They, they went through a four-year-long rebuild. And what do we have to show for it? Barkley Goudreau, Ryan Reeves, Sammy Blaze. And a general manager who seems out of his depth. Yes, yes, I'm glossing over Adam Fox and Capococco and Alexi Lafreniere and Artemi Panarin and Igor Shosturkin and Jacob Truba and Keandre Miller and Nils Lundqvist and Mika Zibanejad and Chris Kreider and all these other guys. To go through an entire 15-year period where your biggest problem was not being able to score enough and then tripling down on getting guys who don't score ignorance of history is something that is inexcusable in any walk of life whether it be hockey politics government whatever 
if you are ignorant of history, you are setting yourself up for failure. And that's how I'm going to segue out of the history portion of this episode in reflecting and start looking more abstractly big picture. Now, talking about this is difficult and reflective and a little bit centering myself as part of this story, even though I'm not part of this story, but I can't do this episode without talking about just how much Heinrich Lundqvist means to me. And I, I try to separate the two halves of my brain when I'm doing the podcast, when I'm doing the fan perspective and the expert side of things, but... In the grand scheme of things, if it weren't for Henrik Lundqvist, I'm probably not doing this right now because Henrik Lundqvist is part of why I am so goddamn broken in my head in terms of sports where it kind of seems to be the only thing that gets me moving and gets me my brain working because Henrik Lundqvist never plays for the Rangers they never go on those cup though the Stanley Cup final run the conference final runs and I never have my igniting moment I you hear me talk about it all the time when I am talking with guests on the show about what was the moment that clicked for them that well fuck sports are going to take over my life it was probably that 2011-2012 cup run it was probably the Brad Richards goal against Washington with 6.6 seconds left where you realize the pure, pure euphoria that can come from moments of sports success. And I say that as someone who had seen the Rangers make it nowhere the first few years of my life. I say that as someone who basically had only had the Giants be successful and I wasn't really old enough to appreciate the Giants winning both of their Super Bowls where the first one, you know, I was in fifth grade. I didn't really have an understanding of how difficult it was to win anything. And then in ninth grade when they won, I was just a shithead. I was just chirping my Jet fan friends about how Eli should go to the Hall of Fame, how Eli's better than Peyton. And all the nonsense you do when you're 14, because all you care about is winning arguments with your friends. You're not thinking about the bigger picture. Now, with with some seasoning on me, and I know I say that as someone who's only 24 years old, with some seasoning on me, and you understand how difficult it is to win. And I mentioned it there earlier in the first part of the episode where I was talking about the myth of Sisyphus, where he gets damned to hell and he's got to roll up the ball for cheating. He's got to roll the ball up the hill for cheating death twice, and Zeus gives him that punishment. And no matter what he does, he's never going to be able to get the ball to the top of the hill. That's kind of what it feels like in terms of the Rangers getting something done, in terms of winning, because no matter how what they tried with Hendrik Lundqvist, they could not do it. And I think I, it might be a little bit. A little bit extreme to ascribe Sisyphus to Lundqvist, but it really does seem like something went wrong somewhere in the story here. I wrote about it in the blog, which I hope you'll check out. Because of how much time, emotion, and energy I've put into the Rangers over the years, it feels like I did something wrong. Because there's no way that Henrik Lundqvist never got to win a Stanley Cup. It's not his fault. It's not the team. It had to be something one of us out here in the real world did over that fucked up fantasy land over there. Because for what, for a long time with Henrik Lundqvist, every single game was, well, Hank's going to give up two or less, and if, as long as they score three, they're going to win. And for 15 years, that was the standard. The Rangers scored three goals, they're going to win. And 
you talk about these things, you make the, you mythologize them, you tell stories about them. And it's one of the things that is always going to stick with me is just how Henrik Lundqvist carried himself in spite of the challenges put to him by the team in front of him and the, the league in general. Rangers never had the most talented team in the league around Lundqvist. They never had one of the probably the five most talented teams in the league around Lundqvist. They had some deep teams, but never the most talented. They gave him some opportunity, but not a genuine certified, you know, Ray Bork on the 2001 Avalanche kind of chance to win a Stanley Cup. And it feels like we fucked up. It feels like I did something wrong because there's no way someone who is as dedicated and works as hard as Henrik Lundqvist shouldn't have gotten to raise a Stanley Cup somewhere down the road in the course of his career. And I imagine eventually I will come to terms with it because championships don't define the individual in team sports. But at the very same time, He's got such a good resume. I know some people will argue for Marty Brodeur. Lundqvist is the best goaltender of all time that's not Dominic Hasek or Patrick Wall. That That's where I'm at in terms of the pecking order of all time. The teams he had to play with, the importance where if he did not play well, the Rangers were screwed. That kind of value is something that I think you can't ascribe to the lack of championships as a reason for not because it is a team sport. Championships require a team. One guy cannot win a championship in hockey. It's part of the mythology of hockey. The team, the team, the depth, we, not I. All of that shit. And while I am talking about Henrik Lundqvist's resolve, his talent, one of the things that really always has and will stick with me about his career was how much he expected of himself. He knew he was good, but every single time he let up a shitty goal, he would be banging his stick on the post, yelling at himself. He knew he could do better. He held himself to the highest standard imaginable, and it's probably why he reached the heights of the hockey world that he did, because he expected the perfection from himself. And I know we talk about it a lot. I know it's on a plaque in the Hockey Hall of Fame. There's an exhibit about goaltenders, and in the description of the plaque it says, in the only position in all of professional sports where perfection is the standard and anything less than that is a disappointment, these few men were good enough to stand out above all else. And those goaltenders, those goaltenders who get there, and make no mistake, Lundqvist will get there, sixth all-time in wins, got Rangers franchise records for wins and shutouts. He's got the Olympic gold medal from 2006, the only goaltender not from Canada since I think the early 90s to win a gold medal. I I, I waxed poetically about Henrik Lundqvist because how much he means to me and just I mentioned it before. Sports for people like me who sit in positions of privilege where I get to worry about covering them, creating content about them. This is fantasy land. I'm not worried about the real world when I'm putting the Rangers on. Yes, it does drain my soul watching bad defensive play and bad two-on-ones and making the goaltender stand on his head to have a chance of winning. But in the grand scheme of things, yes, I'm about to say, it doesn't really matter. It's a game. I know I talked about it with Dave a couple weeks ago when we were talking about art. It is just a game. And 
at the same time, at the very, very same time, I cannot help but wax poetically just about how much winning meant to Henrik Lundqvist and that standard, that high standard he held himself to fueling a team for the better part of 15 years because there were plenty of times he could have thrown someone under the bus. There were plenty of times the play in front of him was subpar, but when things were all said and done after the game and the post game, he would always say, well, I can do better. It's not, I can only worry about what I can control. I need to do better. And as someone who gets frustrated in group projects, who hated group projects, especially in college, it's commendable because more than one occasion, I would just end up doing 90% of the project myself because I was too frustrated to deal with anyone else. So I understand the whole, I want to hold myself to the highest standard possible. And it's at least, I think, personally, why I I revere Lundqvist so much as an athlete, as a competitor, is it was always on him. And he always, always made himself available. And I wrote about it in the column for Gotham SN. One of the images that is seared into my brain, something that when I close my eyes, I sometimes see. I forget what reporter tweeted the picture. It's probably an hour or so after Game 5 of the 2014 uh, 2014 Stanley Cup Final. The Rangers have lost in five. They're in the visitor's locker room at the Staples Center. And Henrik Lundqvist is sitting in a stall. He's still got his goalie equipment on. And he's got his hat pulled down so you can't see his face. And he is just sitting there in a state of shock, trying to process what just happened. And I think that might have been the moment that it resonated for me, why I love this guy so much and why he's such such an inspirational figure. Is That was the first time I ever saw someone on my favorite teams feel the way I felt about a loss. A lot of the time, after a loss, they go to the podium, they give the non-answers, they say they're disappointed, we'll worry about next year, we're looking forward. That was the first time I, I saw a professional, and not just like some scrub either, like the best player on the team, just fucking sad and trying to process the grief of losing that game. And that is something that I think hockey needs to try and work with here is humanizing these guys i know i know hockey players get into those robotic tropes and trying to not make themselves vulnerable i think the fact i know how much it meant to henrik lundquist made him that much more endearing as an athlete that much more that made me want to root for henrik lundquist more that i knew it meant that much to him that he was crying like i was that the team lost and I don't know if we're ever going to get back here, so fuck, damn, man, this sucks. And just making yourself vulnerable is so difficult to do, especially in the sports world. So that moment sticks out for me, and I really am trying to not cry as I'm talking now, but... It's so fucking disappointing, man. It's so sad whenever an athlete doesn't get to go out on their own terms, retire when they're ready. If they still feel like they have something they can give to the game, then by all means, they should be able to do it, even if they have to go somewhere else, like Tom Brady having to go to Tampa. 
Henrik tried, went to Washington, and thankfully that heart condition was found in that preseason EKG that the Capitals did that wasn't done in a normal physical because apparently Lundqvist has been playing with something like playing with that kind that heart problem for a while now and it never came up in the normal preseason physical so it's a good thing it was found gets that surgery sometime soon go about the rest of his life and go on to great things because let's be frank if this guy's holding himself to that high of a standard in the hockey world which is pure competition whatever he chooses to do go going forward he's gonna be pretty damn good at too if he chooses to do anything i mean he might retire to some castle in sweden and just live with his family and never be heard from again i doubt it though People like Henrik, they're too competitive to just sit back. I mean, in preparation for this episode, I went back. I watched a bunch of interviews. I watched a feature on Sportsnet from 2013 where they interviewed John McEnroe, you know, the tennis player who's friends with Lundqvist, and they talked about it. And McEnroe said, Lundqvist gets crazy mad just like I did, and it's why he needs these things away from hockey to distract himself because he holds himself to such a high standard and he expects to win every single time he steps between the pipes. That was what McEnroe talked about, and it showed. When Lundqvist lost, you could see the disappointment on his face. And the few times he knew it wasn't his fault, I think about the time he was arguing with the officials in Ottawa after a puck was clearly kicked into the net. I think about the time he got his stick slashed out of his hands by the Penguins and the referees didn't call it, so he pushed the net off the moorings and took a delay a game penalty because he knew he was in the right. Those few moments where he did lose his cool, those stick with me. It will linger with me that Henrik Lundqvist's last start in front of fans at Madison Square Garden was a Sunday matinee stinker against the Flyers where Lundqvist was the only player who decided to show up. The Rangers got shelled. Two weeks later, they went into the pandemic pause. They came into the bubble in Toronto expecting Igor Shosturkin to be the starter. Tweaked the groin during the trial game against the Islanders. Lundqvist overwhelmed behind a bad team. No real match for a pretty talented Carolina Hurricanes team. And... That's something I'm going to have to come to terms with that I still haven't. That the Rangers... I assume the Rangers asked Hank if he wanted to go somewhere else during the rebuild. That if they could have found a landing spot for him, maybe he goes somewhere else to get a chance to win. But at some point, I do think he decided he wanted to stay in New York no matter what. It's why they had to buy him out as opposed to trading him. And I'll always wonder about that if you gave him a mulligan, what he would decide to do. But... I imagine Henrik is pretty frustrated, but at the same time, at the same time, he knows he has nothing to be ashamed of, that he gave the game of hockey everything he possibly could, and he wrote it in the Players' Tribune piece, he wrote his farewell, his, if you fall on your ass, just get back up. Henrik Lundqvist made a career of picking his team up off the mat and keeping them in games they had no business being in. That is going to be the lasting legacy of Henrik Lundqvist. No matter what the odds in front of him, no matter how much better the other team was, on any given night, Lundqvist might have his fastball, and you could shoot a puck out of a cannon and it's not going in the net. 
I the ones that stick out, I think about the game six and seven against the Washington Capitals in the lockout shortened season of twenty thirteen. I think about the entire series against the Capitals in twenty fifteen, where him and Holtby basically traded goose eggs back and forth. I think hell, I think about that series against the Canadians in twenty thirteen, twenty fourteen, where aside from the ones that were mashed in from two feet away, he wasn't giving up anything. From the bottom of my heart, I just want to say thank you, Henrik, for putting me on this crazy journey, making me the sports fan I am, and for going about it the best way possible, man. Just as inspirational as a figure as you can imagine. That'll just about do it for today's show. Want to send best wishes, thoughts to the Hayes family, to the Jobert family. Hockey lost two people. And we, we got to do more for, we, we got, we got to see what happened with Jimmy Hayes, but the hockey community lost two people today and fucking sucks, man. I will see you guys tomorrow. I hope today's bummer episode didn't disappoint you too much. I'll see you guys then.